HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It is Thursday, October 21st, 2021. This is our 305th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is one of the most respected chefs in modern American cuisine, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start with my PR tip. And then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to have grit, have passion and courage, and show strength and character. Set goals and follow through on commitments, and persevere. Grit drives achievement, independent of talent and intelligence. Without grit, our potential may be nothing more than that. So let's be gritty and see things through, allowing our efforts to lead us to success. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm super excited to have my guest joining me. It is David Burke. He is one of the most respected chefs in modern American cuisine who is fueled by passion, grit, and a knack for artful innovation. Acknowledged as a leading pioneer in American cooking, David, a proud New Jerseyan who was born in Brooklyn, is recognized internationally for his revolutionary techniques, exceptional skills, successful restaurant empire, and many TV appearances. In the parlance of today's celebrity-driven culture, he is a rock star in the culinary world. Without further ado, hi, David. Welcome to the show. Sherry, hi. How are you? Thank you for that intro. Oh, you're welcome. Well, there's there's actually two more big paragraphs that I just um, I'm not going to read them, but we're going to talk about all the stuff you've accomplished because okay. it's quite impressive. Well, I'm, I'm getting old, I guess. <laughs> no, no, no. You're getting you're getting younger. Getting uh, getting wiser. <laughs> getting wiser. That's a good one. So so take us back a little bit to to how you got started cooking and um, your your 
your roots in, in kitchens. I know you were at the River Cafe, um, which is a part of your story. Yeah, I uh, I started, uh, you know, I was born in Brooklyn. I left as a camp baby, and I grew up uh, on the Bay Shore in New Jersey, a little town uh, not far from the ocean. Um, and I started working in restaurants at 15, cutting the lawn at a hotel restaurant. Pretty good hotel, by the way. You know, it wasn't a famous hotel. It was like a Holiday Inn or a Sheraton. They kept changing them to the flag. But, but the food was good. And they had banquets and they had a good dining room. And, you know, we had we were near the Performing Arts Center in Homedale. So we, we, we fed a lot of celebrities as they passed through. And, uh, and you know, I, I became, I was a dishwasher. And I was just enamored by the, you know, the culture. I was the oldest boy in my family. So these were all like older guys, you know, I was 15. So they were in their 20s, probably, you know, a couple, there were Vietnam vets, a couple hippies. The chef was a, like a military guy, uh, clean cut. And he ran the show and he was, you know, he had the, the nice cars and the this and that. And he, you know, and during the day, they just kind of it looked like they fooled around, you know, they just, but they were getting things done, you know, they were having fun. And at night when they got together, when the service started, it was like a symphony. It was like you couldn't believe these are the same guys that were putting out this beautiful food, you know. And I had never seen food like that. So I was amazed. Even a club sandwich to me was like a work of art. I mean, they did it with such precision. And then we'd see, you know, 100-pound bags of clams and crates of lobsters and legs of veal, pastries being made. Uh, veal scallopini pie, you know, things were just, you know, to me, it was like kid in a candy store. I, 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 and I wasn't, you know, raised in a family with, you know, like an Italian household where we ate Sunday meals. You know, my parents, uh, we cook, we ate healthy food, uh, but not fancy at all, you know? And, uh, so to me, it was like, great. So I was, I was kind of captivated by the energy, the camaraderie, the creativity, and the sense of satisfaction on a daily basis that you were participating in what was like a game. The service was like the game, you know, like it was showtime or the show. And that I think is what a lot of chefs get uh, drawn to and restaurant workers. It's kind of contagious to have that energy rush on a daily basis at your job where there's a sense of panic to get things done, deadlines to meet, but they're not on the computer. They're, they're with a knife in your hand and a straining of a sauce or baking a cake or something. So there's, there's you know, you're fueled by energy and uh, <laughs> intimidation and all kinds of all kinds of great stuff that a young boy might, that I, I was like magnetized by it. So that's how I kind of got drawn into it. Yeah, no, I've, 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 I mean, it's familiar and you're right. Yeah. It just draws you in a certain type of person. And so what then led you, where'd you go from there? And, and did you, I mean, when did you get the inkling at, uh, or, that you would want to own your own restaurants or start your own business? Well, did that come later? Yes, much later because chefs, this is 77, 78 now. Uh, I had to finish high school. So that was my first job. And then I got a couple other jobs on the Jersey Shore. Uh, I had to convince my father that being a chef, I told him I wanted to be a chef. And he, he was very disappointed, to say the least. And actually, some of my friend's parents were making fun of me. You know, <laughs> it's like, like, why would you want to be a chef? Because you know, being a chef was not, it 
I think it just became a profession in 77, which nobody knew that, but it was really a utility job, like a janitor or a maid. That's yeah. what it looked upon us before the uh, before it became a profession. So I applied for the CIA. My, I had to convince my father uh, that this was a good career path. I was a good student. I was I was a rascal, but I had good grades and I was an athlete. So he he, he kind of if I if I wasn't, I don't think he would have trusted me uh, in the decision. So I had to convince him. He tried to get me a job to deter, uh, deter me. And that was at a little local cooking school, similar to what Williams-Sonoma became, but it was way before that. And uh, so I got to uh, prep all the cookbook authors' recipes. So that, that actually fueled me even further. Then I got a job at Navsing Country Club, learned how to butcher. This is all in high school. So in high school, my last year of high school, I worked full-time. I made an arrangement with my guidance guy. So I had a full-time job in a country club making adult money at 17, going on 18. And then my dad started to see the potential in the uh, economics of it. And then I got a job at which a very famous restaurant called the Fromagerie in Rumson, which I now own, and it's called the Red Horse. And then I went to school. So I went to the CIA in 1980 with a really good amount of experience for a youngster. And then so I took the school very seriously and, uh, and you know, excelled at the CIA, went to Dallas for my internship at the Fairmont Hotel. After the Culinary Institute of America, I was uh, recommended by a couple of the teachers to take a job in Norway. So it got me to Europe. I worked for a very wealthy family in Norway, got me over there. Then I started traveling through you know, Italy Paris, and France and <coughs> Germany, Belgium, and et cetera. So I came back to the States. I worked with Wildy Maloof. I got a job up in the restaurant in Westchester with Wildy, who was a huge mentor. I was about, I guess I was 21. And uh, yeah. I spent three years with him at La Cremaire, a really, really classic French restaurant, the sister restaurant to La Caravelle, same owner. And that was right north of Greenwich, Connecticut. And when I left him, it was time to get to the city. He got me a job with Daniel Balut, and we worked at the Plaza Athenae. Uh, when that opened in 84, 85, I don't remember. And then I spent some months with Danielle and then the River Cafe sous chef position opened. And I had known Charlie Palmer because he used to eat at the restaurant and Wally was, you know, the cremaire. So I got to meet Charlie. I cooked for him on Sunday nights when Wally was off. So I took the job at the River Cafe in 1985 as a sous chef. And that was me and Charlie in the kitchen together there was really fantastic and we spent two years side by side there and then i left and went to europe uh and worked for some very very good restaurants uh michelin you know, three-star michelins and uh, trois grove george blanc mark minot and uh, then charlie was going went to open oriole and uh I got. I was going to go with him and then buzzy o'keefe the owner of river cafe offered me charlie's position which i was you know I didn't think I was ready for. I was 26, and uh, I didn't know how to do pastry, and I wasn't going to take a chef job until I knew how, how to do pastry well. I mean, I could do minor. So uh, we decided. Uh, I tried to get a job with Michelle Richard out in L.A. And he he wanted to hire me as a chef and a sous chef, and I told him I wanted to do pastry. So he he sent Michelle Richard actually referred us to Ecole Note to this pastry school he used to teach at outside of Paris. So I went to school there. Buzzy, Buzzy paid for my, my schooling and my housing in Paris for about six months. And then I came back and took over the River Cafe. And that was in 19, 
1988. And that was, uh, those were, uh, were, it seems like such a long time ago, but, uh, you know, it was really the, the, the exciting times in American food in the late 80s. You know, I mean, things were happening. You know, the chefs were starting to get some momentum. It wasn't quite what it is today with the recognition and uh, and respect. But there was, uh, it was, you know, there was opportunities to put creative things on the plate and sell them and, and spread your wings and, and, and blend uh, some of the European things. At least for me, I was doing French food with an American accent. Now we do American food with yeah. European accent or Asian accent. <laughs> But back then it was much different. And being at the River Cafe, which is, we had an international clientele, so we could serve just about anything. I mean, the whole animal, we had a smokehouse, Charlie built. We were smoking our own fish and smoking kidneys and shrimp shells. And so it was a, it was an experimental kitchen to say the least. And so I stayed there for uh, until 92. I had represented the United States in the Culinary Olympics in 1989 in Tokyo for 10 days. And we won a couple of really prestigious medals and that kind of got three stars from New York Times. And that kind of started putting my brand on the map at the River Cafe. Yeah, absolutely. And just, I mean, I mean, well, that's like, that was like another few paragraphs of, of bio and history in there. And it's incredible, your work experience and then working with Waldy and, and Charlie. I mean, these are, you know, people have been been in the game a, a while, too, and have wonderful reputations and um, amazing. Um, so then then you 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 went with um, you worked with Smith and Walensky before going on your own. Is that? Yeah, I was at the Cafe. An interesting story. I was going to open, you know, Buzzy, you know, Buzzy had Larry Forgione at the river, Charlie, and then me. And, uh, you know, the goal is to, now at that point, now the goal is to open, be a chef. And, and now was first, my goal as a young kid was to be the quarterback of my kitchen, you know, to be a chef, go to CIA. You don't go to CIA back then and think about owning your own restaurant. You thought about being a chef. And that was yeah. the focus two years of being a chef. Everybody wanted to be a saucier and make, you know, we wanted to make pretty food and creative. At least I did. Uh, then you get into the real world and you, and you start seeing Wolfgang Puck and Jeremiah Tower and Larry Fulgione going, uh, you know, then I saw Larry leave the River Cafe and open his own place. Charlie went and opened his own place. You know, and chefs were like starting to be the businessmen they are today and, and being the real force behind a restaurant and the ones that, not every restaurant, of course, but those chefs that had the front of the house uh, managerial people like the Danny Myers and the Junior Perrants and the, and the Serio Maccioni's and all that. They, they, that was a double burst of, you know, people, you know, you had strong presence in front and back. Anyway, I was going to, I was approached by Junior Perrant to open the restaurant with Robert De Niro. We were friends. We're still friends. In the 90s, it never panned out. Because it just took too long. And uh, while I was working on that, Alan Stillman called Drew. Alan's the founder of TGI Fridays and Smith Olinsky, and asked if we had a deal. And Drew respectfully said, we were working on one, but it's not complete, and gave him my phone number. Alan spoke to me, and uh, somehow uh, we made a deal, and uh, a very good one. And we opened a place called Park Avenue Cafe on 63rd and Park. That was 1992. And uh, 
So I got involved with a big restaurant organization. Now, but Buzzy O'Keefe's not a small restaurant organization. Buzzy's much more boutique than yeah. our house of Smith and Walensky and the branding and the advertising. But Smith and Walensky was a steakhouse. And it was a steakhouse that was simply red meat, potatoes back then, a great wine list. So I opened Parquet Cafe, which was kind of modeled after a Union Square Cafe, you know, a little more casual. And uh, we, it was a huge restaurant. It used to be La Perigo Park. So we opened that together, Alan and I, his, his company. I became a partner in the Smith Walensky Group. And uh, I spent 10 years with him uh, learning a ton about business, also about food and design. Um, you know, we created the sword shop there. Pastrami salmon came out of there. Cheesecake pops came out of there. Dry aged beef. And beef. So we, we, you know, again, it was very inventive. It was really, up, you know, it wasn't as fancy as the River Cafe when it came to the finesse of a piano player in the view, but it was right up the road. It was a combination. It was all American. It was a mixture of California food, French and American, a little bit Asian, but the theme was middle America. You know, it was just America. Yeah. We were baking cornbread and we had a big bread basket and we had chocolate park benches and all kinds of great pastry and we did a huge brunch. So it was a wonderful experience. And uh, then we, then Alan asked me to open a steakhouse with him and that was called Maloney and Porcelli. And uh, then after that, we opened about eight Smith and Walensky's together around the country. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot about openings and business and marketing and cost and running a business. And that, and I thank him for that. You know, that was a good, uh, valuable experience for a chef. Do you have just endless energy and, <laughs> and what drives you? I mean, these are, I mean, between all these different experiences, do you just like, um, were you just kind of going with the flow or was it more? Yeah. You know, I just, I went with the flow. I mean, I, I okay. just, you know, I've never really had a five-year plan. You know, I still don't. Um, well, because I, I don't even have a one. I, I have, I, I have, I'm looking at my calendar. I'm in my, I work in my house in the day, and then I go to the restaurant. But I got the 90-day calendar in front of me, and that's going to change. So, I mean, to make a five-year plan, is, to me, is like, you know, we just go. And we, right. we, we, we dream and we create and we have visions and we usually try and get done. If we can get done half of what we want to get done, we're in great shape. So, you know, we have, we, we're, you know, we're, we work with wide eyes and open mind and open ears and we try to you know, manage what we can and uh, we have no fear and failure and we're, uh, we're ambitious. Yeah. What, what was the first restaurant then you opened with your restaurant group and, and it's, I know you've had places, you've had multiple places in, in Manhattan, um, yeah. you have places in Jersey. I mean, talk well, about. I, like, I left about, we went Park, uh, Smith and Walensky. I spent 10 years. We went public. I made, a, I made some money. I made enough money to open, to leave and go on my own. And uh, that's good. And <laughs> I did that. And I partnered with Donatella, his father, and she introduced, he introduced me to Donatella. Right. Park. Yeah. And that was a grand slams because it was, you know, it was 190 seats. I was used to 250 seat restaurants. So now we were doing, you know, so we really started doing like River Cafe food again, but with a sense of humor, you know, really a sense of humor and whimsy and, and finesse. And it was probably the best restaurant I ever opened uh, because of the size and the, and the, and we built it. We built the whole thing. You know, we put all the money yeah. in and when you build something. I remember going. 
uh, and we picked out the artwork and I designed every dish. We had the smoking limousine outside. It just, it was like, boom, it was like, we just kept, <laughs> you know, swinging at fastballs and we had a really great 10 year run. Uh, during that period, we opened one in Bloomingdale's and, I, and Donatello opened something on her own and we started going in our different directions. And eventually, uh, we bought Donatella out and I brought in another business partner, um, so we could expand at a more rapid rate and be more, more focused on one team instead of having uh, different parties doing different things. But at that point, we had restaurants in Chicago. We had the number one steakhouse, David Burke Prime House. That's when we got a patent on the dry aging uh, Himalayan salt aging box. We also bought a, we bought a bull in Kentucky. So we were doing things that were a, a little bit outside the box. So we, I said, if we're doing a steakhouse, I'm buying a bull. I'm going to, I'm going to create the best aging system, which came about by, uh, working on my flavor sprays, which was another great diet product. And then we had, uh, we opened in Vegas and we, you know, then we opened in, uh, we had a downtown one and we opened fish. So we had a slew of restaurants. We opened, uh, uh, one in the airport and then one up in a casino. So we had about seven, eight restaurants with my new partner. My new partner and I had a falling out in 2014. We were really doing a lot of business, but I had, uh, we had a, we had a dispute amongst the ownership of my name. And, uh, so I wasn't going to part with it. So we, in general, we, you know, we dissolved that company. We had a, a little bit of a breakup to say the least. And, uh, I took a couple of restaurants and they took a couple and uh, some of them closed and then we started over again. And now here we are. And that, that was six years ago. We had the pandemic involved. So I started, uh, I did a consulting stint with BLT. I uh, opened a restaurant with them in the Trump Hotel, which I'm not involved with now, but we had a, we did a four, three or four year uh, consulting deal there. It was a great experience. And then I opened uh, David Burke Tavern, which was Fishtail. I, I turned that into David Burke Tavern. We had a great run until the pandemic. And which we, I think that's, I think, look, I, I, I remember going to David Burke Tavern. I think that's the last time I saw you in person. Um, yeah. And it was wonderful. But yeah, so then then we had a pandemic. We, we had a pandemic. So David Burke Tavern was, while David Burke Tavern was open, I managed uh i i'm a culinary director two restaurants up in saratoga so during this time after my consulting with blt i broke i was i was on my own and i started to take on deals uh like a saratoga the garden city hotel we oversee the kitchens there we bought the um, restaurant down in rumson we have another one in seabright uh, we opened uh, a big restaurant in East Brunswick. These are all Jersey. We just opened a beautiful restaurant in Morristown, New Jersey, last week. Uh, we also are the culinary directors of two large restaurants in northern Jersey, One Latino restaurants. One's Ventanas, one's San Cubano. And we're having a great run there. Um, we opened two in Charlotte. Uh, and we opened two in Saudi Arabia. And... Uh, of and we course, just yes. closed on a, we closed on another <laughs> trattoria building uh, close to my home and uh, on the Bay Shore in Jersey, and that'll open uh, in March. So we're keeping busy. We have our eyes on something in, in uh, Westchester that should be opened in April, 
and uh, hopefully we're gonna we're gonna open Mr. French in New York City, reopen it uh, in a new location on it's 24 East 21st Street. That'll open November 4th, and we'll probably open David Burke Tavern again after the holidays. I just don't think I can make money right now in New York City with the labor uh, with with what's going on with yeah. labor vaccination cards and the lack of hotel business and theater and and conventions. So I, I choose to pay my rent and stay closed. I think it's a good financial decision until we shake out with, and see what happens by January. Yeah. Jersey, on the other hand, the business is very strong, even stronger than ever because a lot of people have left the city and uh, a lot of people are throwing holiday parties on this side because we don't have the, vac uh, the vaccination card mandate. Ah, that's yeah. interesting. Uh, yeah, we found that uh, over the summer we did a lot more business. Uh, we're actually busier than ever before because of what's happening in New York City. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's. Oh, well, you mean... know, sometimes you know, we, our, our timing was good to branch out to Jersey four or five years ago. I mean, we yeah. were here in '07 as well, but then we had to resell that building and rebuy it due to the breakup. But so we're 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 happy and we're fortunate. And yes, we work very hard. And we're driven by, uh, you know, listen, I, we love, I say we, I got a, a big team with me and we love. That was what I was, I was going to ask you what the we is. How many, how big well, is your. Me, and then I have three, I have Carmine DiGiovanni, who's my right hand man, Paula, who helps us out. I got Allison sitting across from me, who, who does, <laughs> who, who has to. It has to deal with me in the mornings when we do all our paperwork and get the day started, organize my my schedules, and then uh, and we have a corporate pastry chef and a, a Chris Shays with. So we got a decent, uh, actually a small team for the size of our company, but it's tight and we work hard and we add bodies as we need. We also have my business managers are down in Charlotte, and uh, that's why we're down there and they run our they they help us get the right deals and paper things up. Uh, because you know, I like to do what I like to do, and that's create, design, and uh, and be part of the kitchen and the and the energy in the restaurant. So I go to the restaurants every day. Sometimes three of them, sometimes two, sometimes four, depending uh, on the region. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you also I saw you you also were feeding frontline workers during the pandemic and yeah. and and giving back that way. And you've also. Um, written some cookbooks and 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 um, you have a cookware line. I mean, yeah, it's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, and we just came out with a wine. We have a red horse wine. We yeah, we have a lot going on. There's, there's more I'd like to get to, but we yeah, we, we can't do everything correctly. Well, so we backburner some things. And like, there's something I'm working on called culinary religion, and I can't even really talk about it. But we trademarked that, and we want to do some kind of. Uh, some clothing line based on that for, for people in the hospitality business and with ethos and tenets of what it's like to, what culinary, what it's hospitality re means to at least some of us and, uh, and about sharing food and being sustainable and a little, just, just a little, a little network thing. Um, cooking school is in the works for the future. And um, we're doing scholarship programs with um, Johnson and Wales down in Charlotte. You know, um, we have a fellowship program. We just did a scholarship program with the local culinary school on the Jersey Shore in Asbury Park, Brookdale Community College. And we start to invest in our younger people that to, you know, come and work for us. us. And a lot of that got, but, you know, was because of the pandemic. I mean, we'd all like to be generous. Uh, but it's twofold, you know, it's, it's selfish and generous. I mean, I'm being generous, but I'm investing in my future as well as the kids. 
you know, because I'd like to get, you know, teach them. And, and when you talk about working for guys like Wildy and Charlie and, uh, and even some of the better and greater French restaurants and Daniel, there's a lot that doesn't get done anymore that still has to be taught. You know, and I was, you know, I'm at a good age where I learned from some of the French masters, Jean-Jacques Brachou and what some of the great French chefs were doing, uh, like Andre Saltner, which, you know, isn't always relevant in everyday cooking these days, but it's still important to know and to teach and the whys and the why nots of why you did something a certain way in the 60s or 70s or 80s and why we don't do it that way now. So I find that to be uh, important for uh, the learning aspect and also traveling and the cultures of the other uh, countries and how and why they eat things. So I think co- teaching at a certain age is, it becomes important. And it's also yeah, great. Yeah. Amazing. Really amazing. Uh, before we take a break, let me ask you my question for my last guest on episode 304. I had on Brett Sensis. He's the owner of Gotham restaurant in New York city. And he wants to know, since you have such a tremendous amount of experience over a length of time in various markets, what would you like to see change in our industry? And he also noted that he's constantly amazed by your ability to always reinvent yourself and you seem to never slow down or stop and wondering also how you keep doing it. So that's those are Brett's questions. All right. Well, thank you for the question. Um, what I'd like to see change is the pay rates between the front and back of the house um, is one thing because it's lopsided. And, uh, you know, I think everybody deserves to make good money, but it seems like, you know, the front of the house makes so much more money in, a, in our restaurants than the back of the house. And we pay above average in the back of the house and we have great shit and we pay our salary people well and our cooks. But there's, you know, the tipping system is archaic. And, and and when we so I think there's got to be some kind of balance out of that. We can't just keep raising prices to cover minimum wage increases. So there's got to be somewhat of a a, a sit down and uh, and I, you know I think there's a way of doing it. I don't have the answer yet, but that's something I'd like to see change. And I'd also like to see the uh, you know the, it, it's hard to build a comfortable working environment in New York city and some of the restaurants because it's so expensive. Like you can't have a locker room at every restaurant or a break room. Right. So, you know, the way restaurant industry evolved is, you know, you, you put tables everywhere you could made the smallest possible kitchen to succeed. So we'd like to see a little bit more, uh, comfortable working environments, but in the cities it's, it's really hard to do. But when you, some of the newer ones, you do see that. And, uh, yeah. Otherwise, you know, I, I, I kind I love the business. So, I mean, I don't want too much change because, like, I, I'm not a – I love when the old maitre d's took reservations on, on a little pad and got handshakes and mm-hmm. dollar bills. And they always yeah. said, yes, come right in. We didn't get turned away by open table. It takes, it takes the personality <laughs> of a restaurant away when there's no face at the door that's a, either an owner or a jaded maitre d' or a Elaine, for example, or like a Syria or – or whoever that great maitre d' is, because that's the personality of the restaurant. And you call and say, listen, I got six people. Can I come down? So, I, you know, like Michael's had that. Too. You know, it's a lot of them did. So now you don't know who you're talking to. You make a reservation on open table. You don't – the personality shifts. I mean, if you go to La Bernadette or some of the other great restaurants, they still have that, you know, lack of turnover. And uh, and they still mm-hmm. have – that I hope uh, – I mean, I don't know if that's going to change because everything just gets – driven by uh, 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 
technology. I, mean, I remember when there was handwritten checks before Open Table came. And we were fighting that, you know. But the, as a chef, we liked that because we didn't have to read the handwriting. And, uh, you know. And the, the, right. otherwise, you know, I don't know. I, there's not much you can really change. You know, people aren't going to eat out earlier or later. Or, or you know, they're going to stay the same. Um, I'd like to see less Yelp reviews and uh, <laughs> less people uh, being crit- critical and understanding uh, what it's like to be in the trenches or be in the arena every day and uh, and trying to make all kinds of people happy. Yeah. Not only are you trying to make your guests happy, you're trying to make the Board of Health happy, you're trying to make your investors happy, you're trying to make your workers happy, and yourself. So there's a lot of pressure on the operators these days. Awesome. Well, great answers. Um, uh, His other part of his question was, how do I do it? You know, I do get up and go. I I have high energy. (laughs) I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still fascinated by, uh, getting over the finish line. My creativity and my, uh, curiosity drives me a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I tend to like to see things accomplished. And I have fun doing it. You know, I do get tired, uh, but I know how to rest. I know, you know, one of the things I've learned over the years is balance yourself a little bit. The old Wild West days of being in New York in the 80s and 90s, you know, we burned, you know, you can really burn yourself out. And a lot of my colleagues did. And I'm fortunate that I uh, survived the uh, rock and roll chaos uh, through some of those decades. And, uh, and uh, I you know, live a, ba- a balanced, more balanced life because there's so many good things about what we do and sometimes we get caught up in the negativity of it and we don't get to enjoy it or the pressure i mean it's really a pressure it's a pressure cooker even during the pandemic you mentioned the feed the heroes and we did set up an organization to feed because normally we're programmed uh, restaurateurs hospitality workers we're programmed to help people in times of need especially if you're from the year if you went through 9-11 and sandy and because we have food, we have cash flow, and we have manpower. And when you, but what happened this time is we didn't have food, <laughs> we didn't have cash flow, and we didn't, you know. So we we had manpower. So we got listen. The purveyors came and donated food. People donated money so we could pay our workers, and we started feeding the hospitals and emergency workers. It was a great feeling, and you know, that's um, that's what's beautiful about the country. We pulled together, but then at to a certain point, you just couldn't do it anymore. You know, how many people were making sandwiches for $5, $3, or whatever it was. But we, we, we did our part. We felt good. If we had, if our business was still open and we had money, we could have went, we could have went longer. But we're proud of what we did. But yeah, yes. Yeah, we should be. It was, yeah, very, all very impressive. Um, so much, there's so much content in there too. Thank you so much for sharing so much with us because it's like, it's really, it's really fascinating to hear the history and all that you've accomplished. So uh, let's take a little break and we'll come back. We'll play my speed round game, talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience this week and the final question. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. New master classes are now available at Diageo Bar Academy. With expert tips and step-by-step guidance, 
Diageo Bar Academy's experts give you all the advice you need to craft exciting and profitable menus, including eye-catching menu designs and promoting your most profitable drinks. Discover how to create a well-designed menu that will not only attract new customers, but exceed your regulars' expectations and maximize upselling and revenue. Join live events or watch all past masterclasses on demand at diageobaracademy.com. Whether you are a bartender, owner, or operator, or completely new to the industry, Diageo Bar Academy has easy-to-access resources to help you learn new skills and stay in the loop with all the latest industry trends. So why wait? Visit diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and sign up for the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is David Burke. He is one of the most respected chefs in modern American cuisine. So, David, it is time for my speed round game. What this is, is I'm going to name a couple things, and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. You ready? Yeah. All right. I think you're born ready. Here Here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant. At a restaurant. Indoor dining or alfresco dining? Indoor. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Mocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? Uh, a la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Counter. Counter. Okay, a couple more. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? There you go. Tipping. Ooh, tipping. Okay. Well, I like to tip because I like to have that. Yeah. I'm using, you know, I'm a good tipper, obviously, because I'm in a restaurant business. But, yeah, I guess all-inclusive, you can always add, add more anyway. Right, right. Okay. Um, how about Himalayan salt or kosher salt? Uh, both. <laughs> oh, I thought I was giving you an easy one there. No, no, well, I don't, you know, I got I use them both for different reasons. So. Okay, how about clothesline bacon or lobster dumplings or or gourmet pops? You've uh, had a lot going on over the years. I'm going to have to say uh, Wow, you that's a trick question. <laughs> I'll say lobster. I'm going to say, uh, you know what? I'm going to say the, the gourmet pops because they were, that was one of my first inventions and creations. And before Starbucks ripped me off, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember I've had, I've had all three of them and I, they're, they're all very different, but they're, yeah, they're, well, you're you know the story behind them. We started out making smoked salmon lollipops and foie gras and goat cheese. And the New York times did a big spread on it. And the, problem was they didn't freeze you know they didn't freeze well the luxury items i mean the goat cheese went better but there was a lot of richness for one bite you know so then we went to cheesecake and cheesecake became a star yeah well delicious yeah okay two more cheese plate or dessert dessert although i love cheese i have cheese in my fridge but <laughs> I, i'm 
I studied pastry, so I, I, I always, I, I like sugar. Um, I know, and I like, I like to finish. You know, I, there's really a digestive quality to having a dessert after a meal, which a lot of people don't realize. Um, you know, and some people put sugar in their coffee. But I don't. So I always like something, even if it's a couple bites after my meal. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Okay, um, Manhattan or Brooklyn is my last one. Oh, Manhattan. Manhattan. There you go. You know, Brooklyn born and my parents are Brooklyn born. I, I, it's, uh, I don't know, Manhattan is uh, hard to beat. Proud of Brooklyn, but Manhattan is one of the yeah. spectacular. Well, if I threw in Jersey in there, I mean, I don't well, know. I, that's another trick question because <laughs> um, it depends on where in Jersey and also, uh-huh. you know, you're talking about, you know, Ex- energy, high energy, excitement in, in New York, right. peace and quiet in Jersey, near the ocean or in the woods. So yeah. I, if you can have both, I'll take <laughs> Awesome. Okay. Well, that's the game. Very fun. Uh, so for industry news, um, the article I picked out was in People magazine, and it's entitled, Bobby Flay Wanted... 100 million contract to stay with the Food Network. Strictly business, says Source. Bobby Flay and the Food Network appear to be parting ways after Flay's three-year contract expires at the end of this year. This was by Dave Quinn. Um, I mean, it was. I was at the NYC Food and Wine Festival this weekend. Interestingly, a few people mentioned this to me in conversation as like, did you hear or what do you think? And so it's like, well, I guess it's it's we should talk about this news bobby flay is looking looking for for i think i think from from the article and and conversations he's um he's looking uh you know to to maybe get another deal somewhere else and he was asking i mean guy fieri uh fietti i think you say it he recently got an 80 million dollar contract and i i feel i think bobby flay was maybe trying to look at um numbers to that level um as another as someone on tv so um i can't i can't really relate to these numbers though what's your question is there a question you want well i was what was your what was your take on this i I mean is god bless both of them and uh i think that bobby flay has a card up his sleeve because he's a smart guy and he knows his, what he's doing, and I have a fun feeling he's going to wind up making more money somewhere else. If, in fact, he, I have no idea because I haven't spoken to him in a while, but uh, um, I would imagine he's got something up, a bargaining chip, and he has something else uh, in the works. I don't think he's just going to end the contract without something else. And he's certainly marketable. I think he does an incredible job on TV, and he also, he's earned it. He's worked very hard uh, throughout the decades. Uh, I don't know Guy Fieri uh, well, but I think I, I think he deserves a shout out as well for all his um, what he's done throughout the, the last couple of years for raising money and feeding people as well. You know, so he, he yeah. does charity work. He's very generous. I don't really know him like I know Bobby, but uh, I think Bobby's got a trump card, or maybe we shouldn't call it a trump card anymore. But uh, he's got a card up his sleeve, you know. Um, and I think uh, I hope he does, and I, I'd imagine he does. And I, you know, because and he's done a lot for the food network. He's been there since the beginning, and he's actually really good on. on I, I can, I can actually enjoy watching him because uh, not because I know him, because I think he's a good entertainer. Yeah, I agree with all that. Yeah, Bobby, he's been with the Food Network for twenty seven years. So I mean, that's a long, long time. Long time. Yeah, and that's. But he's also, 
he works hard. When he opens restaurants, he's there. He's you know he's been there for mm-hmm. a long time. He, he he succeeded in New York behind the stove and in front of the camera. That's a lot. And you know what? Like I said, why shouldn't he get paid that kind of money if he he's 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 an entertainer and he's good. Yeah. No, I I I, I agree. And over the years, I was I mean thinking back to the beginning days of Food Network, he had that show. Um, I think it was Boy Meets Grill. Um, yeah. Which a lot of shit. But you know. yeah, now and I know he's he's they're doing um, Throwdown now with Bobby Flay. They're 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 um, filming that now because I know I, some did, I did an Iron Chef with him in '04, and uh, boy, we 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 rock and roll. I beat him, but he won. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, well. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> I don't even know what he made because I was too busy sweating and cooking. Yeah, and, and actually, I think it's Beat Bob. It's Beat Bobby Flay that's filming now. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, he's. I mean, he's if had I had more time, I'd watch. I'd watch TV. Uh, and uh, but I know his. I know his. Uh, uh, I know his uh, his career path because I I know when he first started at Miracle Grill. It was way before Mesa Grill or Miracle something. It was. Uh, that was late eighties, I think, maybe nineteen ninety or something like that. So uh, you know, yeah. I'm happy for people that have worked hard like this, you know, because uh, yeah, me too. You come, you, you don't realize, you know, and to be able to stay in the game for that many decades is real. Uh, I mean, there's a burnout rate in this industry, which is really high, and that's something I'd like to see change in the business. It's just that turn and burn rate, you know, where there's a little more, you know, just hard the way this business is set up. There's no, there's, you know, there's no, there's the benefit packages, there's a skew of the pension, if there's ever any, the retirement plans, you know, you're in a renegade business and that's the way it was started. So uh, you really have to, you you know, you got to work hard and stay on top. Yeah, no, it's true, and he has worked very hard, and 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 guide too. I mean, and everything you you mentioned, I I agree with. Um, and so we'll see. I, I mean, think, we'll uh, see I it. think yeah, I think we'll I think we'll I think he's uh, you know he's he's clever, so I think he's probably got something going. On. I don't yeah, know. I and mean, I was you know, I, mean, I don't think I listen. If Bobby couldn't get a hundred million, I'm sure he could have <laughs> got sixty five, and. Unless he had a better deal, why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he settle for sixty five? It's still a lot of money. Over, I don't know how many years. It, even if it was a ten year deal or a five year deal, it's right. still it's still Bitcoin, you know. So I would yeah. think walk away from you know that unless you know you got another plan or you know again I can't speak for him, but I'm I'll be happy when I read about. It. Yeah, yeah, ditto, and well, because he, you know people that work this hard and but. Most of it's for his entertainment value, but he also had to be good at what he did with his hands and his uh, and his cooking ability to to stay uh, to stay relevant. There's a lot of people that come. And yeah. Go. No, I I I think I mean TV TV is not. I think the people who do it well make it look easy. Like guy, like like yourself. You've been you've done a lot of TV, like Bobby. And they make it look so easy that oh anyone could do this, but it's not. It's I think it takes a certain personality and intelligence and. Uh, well, and you got to be marketable, and you got to be upbeat. Yeah. You gotta, you know, sometimes you know you got to put on the fa- on the mood and the face, and it's still work. It's work. And if you're running a restaurant on top of that, you know, you're working over, you're working double time, right. like we, most of us do yeah. anyway. The restaurant. But, uh, you know, he, he's, uh, yeah. 
You know, I but think he's hundred also- million because he likes to buy horses, so maybe he needs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he, he buys three good ones. Like- um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Well, maybe my industry news down the road. And I'll well, listen, on what who would have figured? Who would have figured? Forty years <laughs> ago, that a chef would be signing hundred million dollar contracts. So God yeah. bless our industry. Yeah. Right. It's, uh, yeah. We've come a long exactly. way from from being looked at as as. Uh, as diner scrubs, you know, or burger cookers, or all that. Even, even the, right. you know, the, the country has embraced food. The Food Network has certainly helped. The Culinary Institute of America has certainly helped get uh, the yeah. respect that is uh, mo- mostly deserved for uh, for restaurant workers and 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 more credibility. And also the the working environments have changed, which is good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Speaking of Food Network, uh, just shout out to the 2021 Food Network and Cooking Channel New York City Wine and Food Festival, which took place this last weekend, presented by Capital One. And um, this is their mission is to eat, drink and feed New York City. And it was it was a wonderful weekend. I went to uh, a, a bunch of events. I went to the Burger Bash and the Backyard Barbecue and to the Drag Brunch. And it was all great. Really wonderful wonderfully executed as usual. It was supporting uh, God's Love We Deliver and Food Bank for New York City. Big shout out to Lee Brian Schrager and his team. Really, they always put together such a wonderful festival and it was nice to be back. Uh, Mostly great weather over the weekend and the highlight, I think at the end on Sunday, there was a double rainbow over Manhattan um, as the festival closed out. There was a little rain and um, brought this beautiful rainbow, which I caught, and um, it was lovely. So congratulations to everyone involved. Um, you can follow on social media. They've been posting um, at it's uh, the hashtag NYCWFF. And uh, yeah, again, congrats and thanks for having me. Um, it's time for my solo dining experience. So. This week, it's at Chitsiamo. Here's the rundown. The location, 100 Manhattan West Plaza at 9th Avenue and 31st Street. The concept, it's bridging the traditional with the contemporary. It's an Italian-inflected menus and seasonal ingredients with live fire cooking, house-made pasta, and a robust Italian wine list. So the owner, who's the owner? Well, it's Danny Meyer's Union Square Hospitality Group. And the executive chef is Hilary Sterling. And the corporate pastry chef, actually the corporate pastry director for Union Square Hospitality Group is Claudia Fleming. So why did I go? Well, it was a highly anticipated opening in New York City. It just opened last week. And I love everyone I just named. My experience. So I went um, two nights ago. I had a 6 p.m. reservation for one. I city bike down there, which I like doing. The weather's been nice in New York, so I'm still biking around. Um, and I walked around. It's in this Manhattan West Plaza, which is brand new. It's a super cool outdoor space. It's got like a big courtyard in the middle and surrounding offices and shops and food and drink venues. Um, so that is where the restaurant is located. And I went uh, so upstairs. It's on the second floor. I was warmly greeted by the manager, Tom, who was a social media friend of mine. And he took uh, later. He took me around the space. I got a little tour of the outdoor plaza that's um, over, or the outdoor area that's overlooking the plaza, and um, that was lovely. And then I also got to see Claudia and Hillary were both there, and they I was seated at a 
two top that was facing the front open kitchen. There's also a back open kitchen, I discovered. Um, so I had this great seat and um, everyone was so lovely. I met the GM, Megan, my server, Aaron was fabulous, wonderful personality. And um, I had a really nice time. So what did I get? I got the Noco Frito with goat Gouda. I got um, also got the cast iron focaccia with tomato conser- conserva, which Claudia sent out to me. I got delicata squash with walnuts, chili, and honey, and the potato topini pasta with mint, almonds, and pecorino. Um, I didn't get a main. That was the pasta was I had as my main. And for dessert, I got chocolate budino, and Hillary also sent me out two spoons, literally two spoons of her gelato so I could try them, espresso, stracciatella, and hazelnut, and I had a coffee. My take, it was fabulous, a really wonderful, delicious meal, heavenly breads. The squash was like candy um, with a little heat from, from the chili and crunchiness from the nuts. And the gnocchi, well, it's not the gnocchi, the topini is kind of like a gnocchi, it's, but it's light and delicious. And um, I, I just, I never had that pasta shape before. It's kind of like a ravioli shape. Um, I loved it. And the dessert, fabulous. I have to give a shout out the hazelnut gelato there. If you go, get the hazelnut gelato. There's something just magical about it. It's just the flavor is unbelievable. Okay, the ambiance, it's an expansive second floor room with seating for 120. Again, it has an outdoor terrace. And downstairs is their daily provision store, which is uh, from Union's Hospitality Group. And they have a bar and a lounge and upstairs private dining room. I'd say it's perfect for dinner with friends. Interesting tidbit. Chisiamo translates to here we are or we've finally arrived. Personal fun fact. Um that same day, I actually posted online uh, about my company, Bayer Public Relations, is celebrating my 18th anniversary this month. I can't believe I started in October 2003. And so I it was kind of like a celebratory dinner for me to go out. And um, when I got home, I got lots of nice messages from people um, congratulating me. And it's a, it's a big milestone. I don't know. I can't believe I've been at this for 18 years, but I have. So um, it was a great day. And the cost of this meal was... $60, not including tax gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. And their website is chisiamo.com. That's C-I-S-I-A-M-O.com. And also on Instagram, chisiamo NYC. So there you go. What do you think, David? You want to you wanna go back with me, chisiamo, get some more pasta? Sounds fantastic. What was the location on that one? So it's at um, Manhattan West Plaza, which is Next to, it's like across from Hudson Yards, yeah. uh, between yeah. 9th and 10th and or in the like 31st and 34th Street. Yeah, I, there's a couple of places in that Manhattan West Plaza, right? A couple other restaurants too, I think. Yeah, there there are there's there's new places opening up, and there there's there's a bunch of fast more fast casual places. Um, I think it's just it's just starting everything's just starting to open. The offices are open and the, the courtyard in the middle, they have like a big, uh, 
it's Citru, Citruvia, um, like an outdoor installation with, it's really pretty and it's a nice place, I think, to go sit. And it was quiet. That's another thing. Like the middle of this courtyard area was quiet in the middle of Manhattan, which I, I was fascinated by. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I'd love to go. I'd love to go. They always do a good job. Uh, and, and and you said Claudia Fleming's the pastry, the corporate pastry chef for them? No, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, she she went, I mean, returning to her roots with having yes. worked with um, Gramercy Tavern back at the early, the beginning. Yeah, yeah she so, opened it. Yeah, she's, she's, yeah. Uh, she's fantastic. She started with them a few months ago, um, maybe a little longer than that, as as their uh, pastry director or corporate pastry director. And so she's like, she was there overseeing. I don't think she's going to be there um, for every shift moving forward, but she was, it was, she was, it was lovely to see her. And, um, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic team. So. Yes. Well, they do, he does, Danny does a great job, whatever he opens. I mean, you can, yeah. he's got a trusted brand. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So it's time for the final question. So my next guest is Colin Cowie. He is the CEO and founder of Colin Cowie Lifestyle. He is an internationally renowned lifestyle guru who has been at the forefront of event and wedding planning for over 25 years. His top celebrity clients include Oprah and Jennifer Lopez and Ryan Seacrest. I mean, he's worked with with big names. Um, And he recently uh, launched, he has a new book out called The Gold Standard, Giving Your Customers What They Didn't Know They Wanted. And I've had his other, his original cookbook, Effortless Elegance, for a really long time on my bookshelf. So I don't know him personally, but I've had his book and I'm very excited to chat with him. So David, what would you like to ask Colin? I'd like to ask him how he's doing because I know Colin. I met him up in Saratoga. We did a great event together, uh, I don't know, maybe three years ago. Um, He did a food and wine festival. Uh, We had, had, he he did all the catering for it. I think he, I think he, put the whole thing together, him and his team. And, uh, and there was a car show involved. And we had, uh, we did it. Uh, Todd English was there. Terry Brandon, Wally Maloof. We had a, a couple of chefs there. It was, it was, a, it was, it was a huge, I think it was three days long. So yeah, I'm familiar with him. So, uh, again, I, the, the question for him is, uh, how do you stay ahead with the events? How do you, you know, where do you find props? And the design elements and the wow factors. You know, how do you get? You know, every bride and everyone that has an event wants to outdo the other one. So they're always asking the event planners, like, "What do you got that's gonna knock me out?" So, and I'm sure there's a lot of uh, planning and a lot of high maintenance clients that he has to deal with. So, how do you just keep? How do you keep outdoing yourself, really? All right, I will find out. Um, yeah, he's. I mean. He's done. He's worked with a lot of people and done incredible, incredible different events. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to chat with him. And um, I've been thrilled to chat with you. And thank you so much for making the time. Yeah. Uh, I know you've you've got a lot on on your plate. And I actually I have to say, um, out of out of all the accolades you've, I mean, you've received many accolades of the years, but the one that that I think. Uh, caught my eye it was um time out new york's best culinary prankster <laughs> I, I didn't even know that existed i, I don't think it does i think they just made it for me that year i don't know 
I think I was, I, I don't know if it, that was a prank or it was a compliment, but yeah, we got it. I think, I, you know, I was always doing dishes that were just, you know, we did, we created a pork. I did a pork shank in 1996. We put it on the Maloney's menu, crackling pork shank. And, you know, I had to argue with the Smith and Lansky guys to put it on the menu because they said it would never sell. And I was adamant that it was, it was just great. It was like a duck confit made with pork shank. And pork wasn't on fine dining menus or even really a steakhouse. Maybe, maybe you had a pork chop at a tavern or something. So uh, it was $19. I had eaten it in Munich. I was traveling. I had these in Hofbrau House, and I had this pork knuckle. So I converted it to what I thought would be a great dish. And not only did it sell well, it be, it was voted best dish in America in 1996 in USA Today, when USA Today was on every seat, on every plane. And number two was, I think, Daniel Baluda, John George, Thomas Keller, you know, foie gras, truffles, lobster, all that. So it was a great day. So that was kind of a prank. You know, people thought that that was like a prankster idea to put pork knuckle on a, a shank on a menu back then. And, and then certain things we were doing back then was live crabs underneath a glass on a, on a plate. So, you know, yeah, we were, we were playing, games, <laughs> playing games. That's you gotta keep it. You gotta keep yourself amused. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations on that award and all the awards you've received yeah. over the years and wishing you much continued success. I have to get out to to your places. Um, yeah. Well, we'll be, we'll be up Mr. French in New York soon. Yeah. And then uh, Tabor Tavern in Manhattan will be open in uh, January. And um, we'll, uh, you know, if you're in the Jersey side or Charlotte or upstate New York or in Garden City, we're there. Or if you're in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, please stop. <laughs> I was going to say. If you're passing through Riyadh, you know. <laughs> if I'm just, like, passing through. They told me it's a dry heat. I went over there. It was 130 degrees. I'm like, <laughs> dry heat. I was like, <laughs> but it's beautiful. Wow. The restaurants are beautiful. I'm going back to the day after Thanksgiving for a few days. Uh, wow. Two days. I've got to go for a week at least. But, you know, that's a, that's a different culture. And, um, I, I pleasantly surprised with the reception and the, uh, the quality of workers and the, uh, and the, uh, and the clientele and their, uh, you know, speaking English and all that. So it makes it, makes it easier than I thought to do business. So terrific. Well, good talking to you. I hope to see you. Too. Um, Thank you so much. My guest today has been Chef David Burke. He is one of the most respected chefs in modern American cuisine. You can find out all about his projects and restaurants at chefdavidburke.com and follow him at Chef David Burke. Follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also in iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Kevin. Thanks again to David and to his publicist, Shelly. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. I will be back next week with a new show. Hope you'll tune in then. And thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thank you. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. 
a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.